The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So what if you could take anywhere from a month to a year off of work to clear your mind, pursue a creative vision, travel, or just create the space to reclaim your energy and focus and inspiration? Well, safe bet, most people would jump on that opportunity. But then comes the reality check. Well, sure, it would be amazing. But I mean, could I really even make that happen? And then the doubt. Well, no, there's, it's just impossible. But what if you could? What if taking a sabbatical actually was more doable than you ever imagined if you just had the tools and the ideas and the strategies and the framework that would help you step away and reset your mind, body, and life? My guest today on Spark, DJ Didana, says it's not only more doable than most people imagine, it may actually hold the key to your ability to reset and reimagine the way you work for years, if not decades, if not the rest of your life. DJ is the founder of The Sabbatical Project, a research and advocacy nonprofit that is on a mission to define, explore, and research sabbaticals and their impact on non-academics, everyday folks out there in the work world. His work on sabbaticals, it's appeared in Time Magazine, Fast Company, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Quartz Fortune, TEDx, so many others. And today, we dive into some of the ideas and stories that appear in his upcoming book based on hundreds of interviews with sabbatical takers from across the world and really deconstruct some of the strategies and also do a little bit of assumption and myth busting around what is and isn't really possible. So excited to share it with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And I'm just excited to dive into this topic of sabbaticals. I have so many different questions for you. And I will confess up front, part of this is because I know that a lot of our listening community is at a moment and a season in life where they're kind of reimagining. Um, and if they're not now, they're about to, and they're kind of trying to figure out how do I step into that, into that window of reimagining? And I personally am square in that myself. Yes. You know, I find myself in, in, uh, well into life, um, running two different companies, also having a deep love for, for life, for, 
relationships, for family, for art, and for, for doing different things, and realizing that I'm in a little bit over my head right now. And funny enough, before um, I even was aware of your work, we've been sort of like figuring out for the last, probably the better chunk of this year. In fact, I committed to it on air in a conversation with Jenny Blake months back on this podcast where she kind of challenged me because I was like, you know, I wanted to take a month and just write for years now and do nothing else. She's like, what's stopping you? Let's walk through the process. Let's make this happen. (laughs) And I realized that uh, I, I started walking through the process and I, I kind of felt like I had to zoom the lens out a little bit also and say, what exactly am I doing this? Why am I doing, you know, what is this thing that I'm imagining? And um, I didn't think of it in this term of sabbatical, like that wasn't the word that came to mind. But once I started learning about the work that you've been doing, I was like, huh, this is fascinating. And I have the guy who actually has been deep into this for a long time. So I want to learn more. So I'm putting that out there up front. This is in part for our community and part I'm very personally interested in the topic. (laughs) That's great. Well, as part of interviewing me, you get free sabbatical consultations for life. (laughs) So I'm excited to help you walk through that journey. And I was actually looking forward to asking you a similar question just about how do folks like us, obviously you're many, many steps ahead of me, but how do you take a break away from something that's as core to your identity you know, that you're lifting a lot, I'd imagine. I know you have a team with you, but I feel like it becomes even more important to figure out how to take a sabbatical as you get closer and closer to your dream job or the work of your soul or whatnot. And so um, I'll be learning from you as well because I'm I'm coming up on it myself. <laughs> yeah, well, well, um, you know, it's interesting, right? And I think on the one hand, the less you need it, the easier it is to take in a weird way, you know, because earlier in life, there's a lot less complexity, a lot less that you have to kind of unwind, put on pause, like create backups for. But also a lot of the things that would lead you to need to take that space probably aren't in play yet either. So I feel like there's a really interesting tension there. I'm wondering if you've seen that as a similar pattern in with all the different people that you've been speaking to about it. Absolutely. I mean, I think the dichotomy that you just mentioned, you know, I'll talk to young folks and they're just as stressed, if not more stressed about there's no way that I could take a year off. My career is just getting started. You know, I don't have savings. And you talk to older folks and they're like, man, I wish I would have done that in my 20s. <laughs> and, you know, I think we're in this rut of here's what I'm supposed to do. And so if I'm not doing that, I have to have an explanation that is not the same as the routine thing, right? You know, our definition of sabbatical is an extended period of time intentionally spent not on your routine work. And so, you know, if you leave your job, your routine job is to get another job. <laughs> but if you kind of set boundaries around that and take space to think about what do I actually want to do, maybe I should explore or heal before I make that decision, then I think you're into sabbatical territory. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so let me ask you a question. In a very past life, a very, very past life at this point, I was a lawyer working in a large firm in New York City. Within a fairly short amount of time, I ended up in a lot of physical and emotional distress in the hospital emergency surgery. But I went back after I recovered and I spent the better part of the year at that firm. Now, I kind of knew in the back of my mind the whole time that I was on my way out. But I also knew that even about a year into that, that my pace of work was so fierce, so relentless, that a voice inside of me said, Before I make this choice about literally whether to walk away from not just the firm, but the entire 
field of law, the practice, something inside of me said, you are not mentally in a good enough place to make a rational choice right now. You need some space. And the firm and I said, can I take a quote leave of absence, which I did for a month before I made any kind of choice there. What's your frame on that? I mean, I think, I don't know exactly how old you were, but it's kind of wisdom beyond its years. What we've seen in our research that we term functional workaholism as in functional alcoholism, like you might not notice that someone's struggling with addiction because they're still functioning at a, at a fairly high level until they aren't, right? And similarly, you know, two-thirds of the folks in our sample, they had a sabbatical happen to them, right? So something extremely negative happened, whether it was a health crisis, someone else's health crisis, they got fired. So it wasn't their choice. And only when they got snatched out of that routine life and work did they realize, oh man, these stomach ulcers I was having or my trigger finger that I developed was actually work-related. And it wasn't just life and unrelated to how I was working, it's it very closely related. So I think knowing that you need to take space in order to heal yourself and get yourself in a proper frame of mind, as opposed to what we see in the past year or so with the Great Resignation, if someone leaves a job and goes directly into another job and thinks the job itself is the only problem, you're just passing along that issue to the future employers, I worry. It's interesting, right? Because a lot of universities actually won't accept somebody into a master's program until you've actually taken some time off, until you've gone out, till you've worked, till you've done something. Yet most jobs look at time off with a suspect eye rather than saying, oh no, this person has really hit pause for a moment to really understand what the intelligent next move is, which is interesting to me. Actually, I have never thought about that. That's a great analogy. You know, I actually think about business school as the world's most socially acceptable sabbatical. I went to business school and not to say that you don't do a lot of work, but the work is really meeting people from all over the world, learning about jobs that you didn't even know existed, trying out entrepreneurship, trying out internships. And then when you get finished, all you've done is learn for two years and people pat you on the back and, and give you a raise. You know, and you see folks going back to mid-career MBAs and, and fellowships and things like that. So I, I think, again, sabbaticals are in our midst. You just have to uncover them. I think you've helped me uncover yet another one, right? <laughs> With an institution wanting you to have some different experience before going forward. Let's define what we're talking about, Ashley. You kind of offered, you know, like a very shorthand. When I'm talking about a sabbatical, I'm talking about this. Tell me more what you really mean by this. Like when you look at what are the defining qualities or characteristics of this thing called the sabbatical, walk me through this. Yeah. So breaking down that definition a little bit more. So extended time spent intentionally away from routine work. So extended, it, it has to mean months, not weeks. Um, I don't want to discourage companies that, that come to me or, or elsewhere and launch like a three to five week sabbatical policy. But, you know, that's a European vacation and it's awesome. And I think they should do that. But really what we found in our research is that it can take people six to eight weeks to just feel like themselves again, especially if you get to the point again where you're burning out, something negative is happening to you, and it's not your intention to take that time off, right? And you know, one of the key questions I'm seeking to answer with my book, and I, I have not answered it yet, I don't know if there is an answer, is just 
what is the difference between extended time and a shorter amount of time? Why is it so important? You know, because everyone who has taken a sabbatical has taken a vacation, right? And all of those folks are saying, this is a peak life experience. This is something up there with the birth of a child, you know, getting married. And so there's something extraordinarily different with that extended period of time. Intentionality, as I mentioned before, it's not like you have to choose to go on a sabbatical. Again, someone can get a sabbatical policy from their company. It can happen to them and they can still have a great experience. But you have to be intentional about not working, which is a lot more difficult for folks than I think you would assume. You see people all the time taking on consulting projects here or there to try to extend their sabbatical runway or, you know, like getting inbound job interest and finding themselves in a, in a job interview process before they even know it. So getting the most out of it really requires very significant boundaries to say like, this is my time and this is what I, I want to do. You know, the third thing is this routine nature of work. So as I was saying, if you get fired or you leave your job, the routine job that our society would have you think is to look for a new job. And so by not looking for that new job, you're kind of in this weird space, you know, like the unemployment statistics wouldn't even count you, right? (laughs) But that's not to say that people don't work on sabbaticals and that different types of work isn't extremely important. So folks might say, I'm thinking of an example where someone had assumed that when they retire, they'd want to run an eco lodge. And so they took the opportunity on their sabbatical to intern kind of like an eco lodge. So they were in the kitchen, they were in the back office and that was work. And they realized after doing it that it was not going to be for them. And so sometimes different types of work, whether it's, you know, scuba dive certification, yoga teacher certification, or trying your hand at, at writing or, you know, some sort of entrepreneurial thing can be super important. But those are the three components that I think really make something a sabbatical. So let's talk about more around structure. You talk about sort of like the inciting incident, the catalyst for a lot of them. And and what do you understand? You make it this distinction between a, a push-based catalyst and a pull-based catalyst. Talk to me about that distinction more. Yeah, this goes back to you know whether you feel like you have agency over taking a sabbatical or whether a sabbatical takes you, right? And so if you are planning it, if you are offered a policy and it's kind of your choice to pick up, the chances that you're going to have a like a much smoother entry, I think are much higher. But also, you know, if you have a sabbatical that's offered by a company, there is a little bit more pressure to return to that company. You might not allow yourself to open the aperture as much to think about what you would do um, if you weren't kind of attached to that job and that, that identity. But most people get kind of pushed into it. And, you know, hopefully, and the reason why I'm doing the work I am is that it becomes more commonplace. There's more kind of equitable policies so that folks of all socioeconomic spectrum can kind of be able to participate in this. And we don't get to the point where a sabbatical is fixing a problem. You lost your job, you have a health crisis, relationship crisis, and more, you know, kind of as Michael Pollan talks about, like for the betterment of well people, right? So, you know, even in our conversation, right, it's, it's very easy to say someone's having a midlife crisis or you know, I've worked too hard or I need to put this job down and pick this other job up. As opposed to just saying, there are things that I want to do that don't fit into the container of regular life or regular vacation. Like I did a six week long walking pilgrimage in Japan and I will never get to do that if I don't take time for it. And it's just, I, I look forward to a world where people can say, 
oh, you're taking extended leave. That's awesome. I can't wait for my next one. There are many things I want to do that I can't do. And that if you wait for retirement, you may never get to. Hmm. It's interesting when I, when I finally actually made that call to leave the law, there's the typical practice was you send a memo around to everybody in the firm gets it, you know, like from <laughs> administrative assistants to senior managing partners, they all get the same memo. And the convention was, you know, like, oh, so-and-so has left to become general counsel at this client <laughs> board, or so-and-so has left to become this and this. It, it was always like there was a fanciness to it, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a pedigree, you know? And mine effectively said, I'm leaving the practice of law to lead people up mountains and explore the world and like find more meaning. And I could tell the people, I'd walk down a hall and people who were sort of like <laughs> my level, mid-level associates were just like snickering at me like, oh, what a shame. He couldn't hack it, you know? Yeah. Then I started to get private notes from senior partners who were basically saying, God bless, I wish I had done this when I was your age. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was the people where, like, these are the people where, like, the carrot that was being dangled in front of all of us, they had it and they had been, they'd had it for years. And they're saying, like, looking back and saying, go do this thing. And it was interesting because we we're talking about, like, social validation here. And I had to make a choice. If I was going to value anybody's external opinion, especially people who generally didn't know me and wouldn't even blink if I was gone, whose input was I going to put more value in, in making this decision? It was just a really interesting moment. Once you make that call, and, and once I was actually honest about the fact that I was leaving to do something that was not socially acceptable within like the culture of both the firm and the practice. I love that. Yeah. No, I, uh, <laughs> I love the idea of sending out the memo and saying, you know, I'm out of here. I, I don't want to do the thing that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize at the time it might've not been the, <laughs> the most flattering thing for all of my colleagues, but I have mad respect for those in the practice, by the way, it just wasn't right for me at that particular moment in time, the way I was doing it. Um, I want to talk more about structure here. Um, we've talked sort of like generally about the idea of what it is, um, why we might do this thing and and roughly some of the benefits here. But you've also sort of like identified some really interesting underlying structures and trajectories here. And a set of, I guess you call them building blocks. These three essential building blocks, a period of, I guess, recovery, a period of exploration, a period of practice. Talk to me about each of these three. So I think that what I've found in talking to hundreds of folks around their sabbaticals is that it kind of Every sabbatical is different, but it tends to go in the same direction, which is there is this, you know, stepping back to recover. There's this exploration and then there's this practice, right? Trying something and it can become kind of like a design loop where you explore, then you practice that thing and then you reflect and explore and practice. One of the things that we found that was interesting is if folks skip some of those steps or if they only do, you know, do them in a different order there's very different outcomes in that. So the most common that we see is, you know, someone that that I kind of call the achiever, right? Someone's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to write a book on my sabbatical. And they go and they write the book. And as you know, and I'm learning, a book will take as much space as you give it, right? So they write the book and it fills up all of their time. And then they get to the end and they're like, I'm not really feeling much more recovered. And I'm at the end of my time. (laughs) I wish that I had taken some time to just kind of like rest and recover. Then you have folks that we call the seekers, right? And I, I would kind of gather that that was what you were doing when you were leaving your, your law practice. It's like, okay, I want to kind of seek on a deeper level of who I am and what I want to do and align those things. And so, you know, those folks will typically 
spend a lot more time exploring and then practicing. And so they come out of it with, I think, a better opportunity to make fundamental transformational change in their life because they've, they've healed, they've explored, and they've actually tried some of those things out. I think one of the important things to keep in mind is that a lot of folks on sabbatical, as you were saying earlier, like you get towards the end of it and then people are asking questions and you maybe haven't figured out what you want to do next. And I think a lot of folks don't come out of a sabbatical with exactly the right thing that they want to do just then. But I think it kind of starts a like a chain reaction of events that one, two, three jobs, one, two, three years in the future, you're kind of getting there. So I think it it like reorients yourself towards where you actually want to be and is more true to yourself. And then you might have to circle around it a little bit, but it's kind of pointing you in the other direction. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting reframe of the idea of a sabbatical rather than saying, I'm going to take a month or a couple months or a year to make this wholesale change in direction and get started on a new path to basically just say, I'm going to take a year to first recover. And I have no idea how much of that time it's actually going to take for me to just be able to be okay and breathe more easily and be sort of like in a more grounded state of being. And then most of it to just run experiments. Maybe I emerge from that with a little bit more insight that lets me like shift the rudder in the direction of the next set of experiments. That takes a lot to basically say, I'm going to take a solid chunk of time out of my life in the name of doing something where there's a pretty decent chance I'm not going to have the quote like capital A answer emerging from mm-hmm. this. And I see a profound value in this still. Like I'm somebody who looks at life as just a series of intentional experiments. Mm-hmm. You know, the Good Life Project has been in existence for 10 years now. You know, the reason it has the, the word project in the name of the endeavor is because from day one, it's like, oh, this is an interesting project. Let's see what comes out of it. And to this day, that's still how we hold it, even though it's become like a substantial thing. But I think that's not that's not the way that most people step into it. They're like, if I'm going to allocate time to do this, okay, I get the recover part. I'll allocate some you know, like <laughs> reasonable amount of time in my mind, which is probably way shorter than all of us actually really need. <laughs> um, but then like, I want something out of it that's more concrete at the end um, rather than just, you know, having some sense of where I'm headed, but knowing there's still a ton more work to do. Yeah. Lots of things you brought up there that I want to respond to. And and first of all, I want to set the record straight that I did not steal the name project from you, <laughs> but you did insp- you did give me permission to have such a long kind of clunky name as the sabbatical project. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves to come up with the answers, which is why I like that the quote about kind of living the questions, right? I think that's Rilke. Um, so like if, if, are you living the questions in your life and are you okay with that being the process as opposed to always trying to seek the answers and always trying to achieve and move on to the next thing? And then I think the other way to remove pressure from yourself, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about instead of following your passions, following your curiosities, it's just a lighter way of, of viewing it. And that being said, had you said this to me in the first week of my sabbatical, there's no way that I would have been able to heed that advice because like you're in this mode where for me, it was the first time I'd taken more than 10 days off, you know, since I don't know, middle school or something. And so you're spending your entire life without the notion that you could be doing something that is not productive 
for an extended period of time, like productive air quotes, lowercase p or whatever. So it's a fundamental change to how you think about yourself and how you think about work, which is what led me to wanting to do this research and, and launch this project. It's just every person you talk to who has taken this amount of time off says the same exact thing. And I cannot, no matter how hard I try, find someone that's like, I regret doing that. I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like what you're talking about. It's less about getting clarity around what am I going to do after it and more about who might I become through it? Yeah. And, you know, either who might I become kind of assuming that there's a different state you're morphing into. So we, we talked about a sabbatical as like a liminal state in one of our earlier papers, right? It's this like liminal state where you're, you're feeling safe moving from one identity to another. Or you can think about it as kind of being an archaeologist and really digging back under the layers of expectations and years of working in a law firm or whatnot and saying like, you know, oh, I used to be a creative person and I want to make music again, which is something that I did. And, you know, just really firing those things up and then learning, actually, I don't want to make drawing a career or I want to do it more, but I'm really glad that I did a drawing class because it like re-energized and helped me kind of have a learning perspective towards it. So yeah, you could change. You could just realize that your priorities, like the dials need to be turned a little bit more family, more kind of autonomy, less prestige. That's typically the direction that, that I see folks move towards. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's more like, you know, um, who have I always been that I've stifled or set aside or like, you know, deprioritized, right? Like turn that knob down. Um, mm. And maybe it's time to actually, yeah, like turn it back up, center it a little bit more because it maybe just takes the space and the time to understand how important it is to not deny parts of ourselves um, that maybe socially we were told, well, you have to kind of set that aside to do the thing that you like have said yes to doing for this moment in life. And maybe, or maybe that isn't true, but I think we all reach a point where we're like, I need to challenge all the assumptions. Yeah. I mean, one of the most common keyword that I hear in our interviews is folks realizing and remembering their humanity. Mm. And this is, I think, what happened over the past couple of years is folks said, oh, like my life is 20 yards lateral. <laughs> I'm like waking up, I'm going to my desk and I'm working and I'm maybe preparing food and like chasing the kids around. And it really brought up to people's nose what their activities were in life. And they, I think a lot of folks who had the privilege to do so said, I want to change this up a bit. In the same way that all of civilization realized that a lot of things could be done in different ways. I think individuals said like, oh, okay, here's actually what's important. And here's another way to do things that I hadn't had the occasion to realize before this. Mm -hmm. If people are thinking about this, and you have to imagine that after the last few years that we've been through, the volume of people who are thinking about some form, whether they call a sabbatical or not, who are just thinking, I need space right now to figure myself out, to figure my life out, to figure what matters and to, to just breathe, to recover, run the experiments and try a whole bunch of things, right? Those three elements for you, recovery, explore, practice. If you're going to talk to the typical person, you know, like who's listening to this now or who comes to you and says, where do I even begin with this? And let's assume it's not somebody where this is built into the structure of their work or their job. They're going to need to actually proactively make this happen in their lives. What are sort of like the opening moves or considerations? So I think the first move has already happened, uh, which is they're hearing about the possibility of taking a sabbatical, which I think, I don't know, five, 10, 20 years ago, most people would not have even heard. And so 
they truly have to get to a point where it's a midlife crisis before before pulling the chute, right? I think that the power of this idea, once it's inside of you and you can start to imagine it for yourself. I mean, one thing I appreciate about this conversation is that you didn't ask me to like go through all the things that I did on my time off because that's not really the point, right? And that that could really turn people off who couldn't take, you know, four months off by themselves and travel around or whatnot. The idea that this seed is now planted in people's head to say like, oh, I heard of that thing about a sabbatical. And yeah, I would like to do some archaeology on my interest in arts or music or something like that is the first step. So check. I think the second step is primarily people's objections are around cost, optics, and responsibilities. So cost is obvious. Um, you know, can you afford to do so? How much is it going to cost? I just had a really interesting conversation with a coach, Katrina McGee, yesterday, who was talking about how, you know, listen, almost no one can take a sabbatical tomorrow, right? Like if saying that you can't afford to do it kind of misses the point because if it's important to you, you can say, I want to do it in 10 years. And then you save 5% of your salary or something, right? So it's really about starting to be intentional and aware of what you're spending and how you can reprioritize in order to make it financially feasible eventually. Um, so that realization, I think, is, is a step. Ask your company. You know, as you said, asking for that leave, I'm sure was re- really intimidating because once you kind of out yourself as someone who needs a break, uh, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. But more people are surprised by asking their company and, and figuring out that, oh, they actually have a policy or I could retain my benefits. I wouldn't get my salary, but I think I could plan for that kind of thing. The second is optics. And so, you know, more and more people are taking sabbaticals. People are working in kind of creative ways. And I think that's becoming less of an issue, though there are a lot of studies around, you know, the perception of is someone going to take a vacation? Will they take, you know, parental leave, paternity leave if their boss doesn't take it, even if it's offered, all that kind of stuff. So, that can be a real concern. You know, you mentioned earlier about what, you know, how you're going to explain to someone that you took time off, what will people think of you? And I think flipping that coin to the other side, if you're going to another job and someone is going to ding you because you took three to six months off and it was really important to you, even though what you kind of described and how much it, it impacted you, um, that's probably a good canary in the coal mine that that's not a great place for you to work. <laughs> and so um, I, I think you can actually work as a reverse job interview process. And I think more and more people are really excited and it looks courageous to take that time off as opposed to people holding it against you. And then finally, responsibilities. As I was saying, there's different sabbaticals for different stages of life. And it is a lot more difficult if you have a family and kids and a mortgage, undoubtedly, than, than if you're in your 20s. But those are the stories from people that I've been the most inspired by. You know, people who are reorienting how they think about their kids, you know, going from being like a set of responsibilities and errands and chores um, to understanding their personalities and creating really, you know, lifetime enriching moments and experiences with them. Um, people using it to, to really spend time with their spouse to figure out if they want to have kids, um, that sort of thing. So responsibilities, again, are going to make it so it's more difficult to do it at the drop of a hat. But I think the benefits um, way, you know, way outweigh the, the costs on that side. So start thinking about how to overcome those objections. Yeah. And, and like you said, those are three really real considerations. 
they show up in very practical ways for a lot of people. And a lot of what I'm hearing you say is also like when we're talking about this, we're not necessarily talking about it for tomorrow or next month or next year. For a lot of people, this may be a five-year thing. This may be a 10-year thing. And it's like, if you feel like it's important to you, how could you start to think about planning for it now? And then again, if you feel the burning need to do it, then and, and you don't, from a like from those three criteria, you feel like it just it's not within your realm for five or ten years. I would also have to imagine that would be a psychologically devastating thing to deal with. If you're at a point where you're like, I need this now, and looking at my life, I literally cannot conceive of a way to sort of like check those three criteria boxes for years from now. That's got to be a really tough experience. And I would imagine that there are actually a lot of people in that moment right now. Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, we got to make sure we're comparing apples to apples. Like that's the situation that everyone is in right now. Right. I mean, for the super majority of folks, the story of what work and a career is, is like you go to school, whether you graduate from high school, college, grad school, and then you work your entire life and then you retire. (laughs) No breaks. I mean, I remember the first year after college when you had to work through your first summer. I had jobs in high school and and before where you work during the summer. But the the concept of just working and not switching what you do (laughs) for endless years, it's a crazy one. And so yeah, that's that's the situation most of us are in. And I think that if you're looking at it and you can do it, but it's going to take five, seven, ten years, it's better to have a light at the end of the tunnel than to not have a light at the end of the tunnel. And to, to realize that like, there is a way that you can do this. There is a possibility of, you know, living in a different way. And, you know, frankly, what we're working at, at the sabbatical project is, can we do studies, collaborations with companies? Can we elevate people's stories of all different shapes and sizes so that companies and and governments can enable people to take time off and they don't have to worry about the financial impact? Every public servant in Australia gets long service leave baked in because it used to take a long time to sail from from England to Australia and back. Every person in Sweden gets six months off to start and examine something entrepreneurial. So this is possible. And these are countries that, you know, have the same, if not higher, you know, standard of living than the United States. Um, we just have to be creative about it and we have to to say that it's important. So that's that's what we're aiming towards. Yeah, I love that. Sort of zooming the lens out and saying, you know, like on a culture level, on a paradigm level, on a systems level, how can we show? And I guess that's your work, right? Like, let's actually create an evidence-based model that shows that this is going to pay you back many times over on an individual level, but also on a societal level. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. That feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well in our conversation. So in this container of Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? I think living a good life is living a life without regret looking back. Um, and I think in order to do that, you have to be true to yourself. You have to live an authentic life. And in order to to do that, I think you need to be constantly looking at yourself, how you're changing and adjusting. So it's about kind of being flexible. It's about being intentional and aware and working towards living a life without regrets. Mm. Thank you. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. 
And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.